0: Well, good morning, New Life, and uh, it's just a privilege to be back for the second week in a row. I wish that, uh, and I'm sure what will happen someday is that we will get back to to normal and we will be able to be with you in person, but uh, it's still a joy even to be with you virtually and uh, to support you and to support Andrew and as best I can. Um, We're talking about Uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and the coming of Christ. And uh, in last week, in the first part of this uh, message, and if you didn't catch that, you might want to go back and look at that uh, before you look at this, although you could do it vice versa, and it would still make sense, I think. But uh, last week I talked about the whole panorama of the work of the Holy Spirit from the time of creation onward. And how through the prophetic writings in the Old Testament, there was a a consistent focus on the fact that God was going to send his Holy Spirit. This was going to cause a kind of a new spiritual creation, almost like a recreation of Eden, almost like with what God had done in the garden. It was ruined by our rebellion, that God was going to restore that. And then that was idea of the coming of the spirit in this new creation was also linked with the idea that the messiah would come and so um the jewish people were expecting on the basis of old testament prophecy that the messiah would be the one who was anointed by the spirit and would bring in this new creation um Dimension of what God was going to do, even though the prophets could only understand it in a limited way as best they could um, they used pretty powerful language and so um in any event uh the Jewish people believed also that um uh following the death of the last prophets that was Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi um, four hundred years before the time of Christ that the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from Israel because of the sin and disobedience of the people. And so all during that 400-year period, there's just about zero references in all of Jewish literature, and there's quite a lot of it, um, to anyone being full of the Spirit or the Spirit being upon someone or people prophesying or all the things that used to happen in the Old Covenant had just come to a dead stop. But what they believed, this is the Jewish rabbis, what they believed was that when the Messiah came, the spirit would be restored. The spirit would come back to Israel. And they believed specifically that it would be accompanied by two things, that there would be a visible manifestation of fire and light, and that uh, God's people would begin to prophesy again. And, of course, as we know, that is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. And that is why there was such a massive response to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. He seemed to have or to be a much greater success than Jesus had been because Jesus was left alone at the cross virtually. But Peter gets up and preaches the gospel and thousands come to Christ. But the reason there was that response was because this was the foretold sign that the Jewish people had been expecting and their rabbis had taught them for years that the coming of the Messiah, that, uh, would, that the true Messiah, whoever was the true Messiah, would be marked by the, the pouring out of the spirit and the, the act of prophesying. And of course, God's people did begin to prophesy on the day of Pentecost, praising God, declaring the mighty works of God, and then there was added to that prophetic dimension the miracle that people could hear them speaking in all their different languages. So, that is the kind of backdrop to what I want to talk about this morning, uh, which is the role of the Holy Spirit in the circumstances around the immediate birth of Jesus. So, we've seen that the Holy Spirit was powerfully active in the first creation at the beginning of Genesis, and then um, in God's plan of restoration there was going to be a new creation and the Holy Spirit will be involved in this even as he had been at the first creation all this is going to be tied into the coming of the Messiah then now we come to the circumstances actually surrounding the birth of Jesus so remember remembering that for 400 years the Holy Spirit had been absent excuse me from Israel and that uh, um and, 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 and that there was this expectation that um, God was going to send his spirit again. Now, uh, the New Testament starts with these words in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But in the Greek language, the words are, the phrase is "Biblos genesios. And the meaning is actually the book of the beginning, or literally, quite literally, the book of Genesis that's the start in the New Testament, the first words. Um, The only other two places in the Greek version of the Old Testament where that same phrase comes, Biblos Genesios, are in Genesis chapter 2, where it reads the book of the Genesis of the heavens and the earth, and in Genesis chapter 5, where it talks about the book of the Genesis of Adam. So what? Um, Matthew is saying in Matthew 1 verse 1 is that the birth of Jesus is a new genesis and that's right in line with the prophetic promises that as there was a first genesis or creation that the Holy Spirit was involved in hovering and fashioning the universe so there will be a second creation and that creation is going to be linked with the Messiah there's going to be a new genesis coming and god is going to begin to restore the garden paradise that he established at the beginning that restoration of course comes to complete fulfillment in revelation chapter 21 and 22 so that the first two chapters of the bible and the last two are like bookends containing that garden temple of the presence of god the only difference being in the second garden temple of the book of revelation the presence of evil is uh, absent. Now, so the birth of Jesus is a new genesis. The, the first creation of the heavens and the earth, first genesis, and the, and the genesis of Adam, the creation of Adam, was accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So this new genesis, it's we, we're not going to be surprised to find that a few verses later, Matthew begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. This new genesis is going to be accompanied by the presence of the Spirit as much as the first genesis was, because Matthew describes the genesis or birth of Christ as what is begotten by or conceived by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1:18 and 20. Matthew is making a point. In the same way that the Holy Spirit was present at the first creation, so Also, the Holy Spirit is present at the beginning of the prophesied new creation. And the commission that was given to Adam to extend the boundaries of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth, that commission is about to be fulfilled by Adam's descendant, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, after 400 years, is on the move again. And this time, he's on the move in a way, he has not been since the very dawn of the universe. So the beginning of Luke's gospel is taken up with the announcement of two significant births, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And those births um, in Luke chapter 1 are first proclaimed by the angel Gabriel. He, Gabriel announces the prophecy that Malachi had made, Concerning one who is coming to prepare the way, John the Baptist. Uh, That's come to fruition. The uh, angel Gabriel announces that, that John the Baptist is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, just as Malachi had prophesied to prepare the way for the Lord. And then after that, Gabriel goes on to announce the coming of the long promised son of David, who is going to come as the Messiah and deliverer of Israel, Luke 1 and verse 32. The result of that is in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, that Israel will become a light to the nations. Uh, And that fulfills the prophecy God had given in Isaiah 49, verse 6, that Israel would be a light to the nations. Now, um, so this uh, appearance of Gabriel and this uh, reference to the uh, birthing of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, these kind of supernatural signs had not been seen for 400 years. There, there had been nothing in the power of the Holy Spirit for 400 years. And so with this angelic pronouncement, Luke lays in, in place the foundations of this new messianic age that is about to dawn. Now, as that account continues in Luke's gospel, um, with the exception of the angelic host that appears to the shepherds, those who proclaim the coming of Christ are now human. They're not angels. And there's four people who proclaim the coming of Christ in in Luke's gospel. That's Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Simeon. Now, as we read through the story, something very striking comes to light. Remember, once again, the Jewish people believe they've been forsaken for 400 years by the Holy Spirit on account of their sin. No one in that period of time had been described as being full of the Spirit or possessing the Spirit. But right here in these first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, all that changes. And we read the Christmas story. Of course, we've just been through Christmas. We read the Christmas story. you know, it, we, we, we get used to the different elements of it. The manger, the angels, the baby, and so on, becomes all very familiar to us. But uh, we need to learn to go back and read it and uh, read it in uh, a different way without throwing any of that out uh, to read it in light of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So think Holy Spirit. As you're reading in Luke's gospel concerning the Christmas story, just keep thinking of the Holy Spirit, and you'll notice that his role um, is actually very, very prominent. And uh, what makes it uh, all the more remarkable is that because there are at least eight And possibly nine references in the Christmas story, in in those first couple chapters of Luke's gospel, there are at least eight, maybe nine references to the Holy Spirit coming upon people. Those references are kind of scattered strategically throughout the passage, and they pertain to no fewer than than six people, um, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Zechariah, Jesus himself, Simeon, and probably Mary. And what when, when we see this, what we need to remember is that for 400 years, nobody had experienced the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come on anyone. He had not anointed anyone. He had not filled anyone. He had not touched anyone. He was out of the picture. Now, all of a sudden, we have this uh, angelic visitation, two angelic visitations by Gabriel, angelic host appearing to the shepherds and we have like machine gun references to a whole bunch of people upon whom the holy spirit comes and these verses mark the return of the holy spirit to israel in an extraordinary manner not just one with one exclamation mark but with 10 it was had been unheard of for a person to have a revelation from the spirit or for the spirit to be poured out on someone now in just a a, a couple of chapters of luke's gospel um we find all of this the holy spirit has come again and the significance of that is a new act of creation just like the original genesis creation a new act of creation is about to take place just as isaiah ezekiel joel Zechariah, and others that prophesy so going through it um Elizabeth is described, she's the first one that gets uh, hit with the Holy Spirit. She's described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 1 and verse 41. And not only is she described as being filled with the Spirit, which in context was, as I say, revolutionary, but the Holy Spirit enables her immediately to begin to prophesy. And there had been no prophecy for 400 years. In fact, the Jews, Jewish rabbis believed that when the Holy Spirit came back, the first thing that he would do would be to cause people to prophesy again. And Elizabeth is the one. Now, this is really interesting because it's a woman that is the first person to encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit in this way. And uh, it's kind of like the two women at the tomb where um, under Jewish law, only men were qualified to be witnesses, but God places two women at the tomb. So it's part of a whole revolution in the way that God wants to give worth and value and dignity and weight to women. So Elizabeth here, and again, that's just something that would pass right over us if we didn't realize the significance of the work of the Holy Spirit in the historical context of what the Jewish people believed. And so Elizabeth begins to prophesy. Then Zechariah comes along, and he's described also, like Elizabeth, as filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like Elizabeth, Zechariah also begins to prophesy concerning his son, John the Baptist. The next person we come to is Simeon. And of Simeon, this is Luke 2 and verse 25, it said, The Holy Spirit was upon him. And Simeon also operates in the prophetic because he immediately declares the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Christ. And then it says he comes to the temple, quote, in the spirit, unquote. And then the spirit supernatural reveals this baby is the Messiah. So Simeon, uh, what it exactly looked like for him to come to the temple in the spirit we don't know but it certainly involved the presence and power of god on him and a supernatural rep power of revelation so that that was again an extraordinary thing so after after 400 years of silence Uh, 400 years of the death of prophecy, 400 years of the absence of the Holy Spirit. In this one short account, not just one, but three individuals are portrayed as having the Spirit come upon them and each of them prophesy. And then when we come to Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, surely she must have been full of the Spirit also um, because she begins to prophesy in Luke 1, 46 to 55 in what we call the Magnificat. For how could Mary possibly prophesy? You can't prophesy unless the Holy Spirit is upon you. So that's four people full of the Spirit and prophesying after 400 years. Well, then we come to John the Baptist. Now, this is, um, I mean, it was extraordinary enough with Elizabeth, Zechariah, Simeon, and Mary that the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And they began to prophesy. But John is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's Luke 1, verse 15. Now, the Old Testament certainly knew of people whom God knew from the womb. It knew of many people empowered by the Spirit, but no one had ever been described as having received the Spirit in the womb. This is a first, and it marks John out As the new Elijah, the one, the long expected prophet who is to come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. So if the spirit is returned and the gift of prophecy is returned, it's no surprise that for the first time in 400 years, we actually now have a literal, literal prophet in the midst of God's people in the form of John the Baptist. So... These verses uh, that I've read out mark the return of the Holy Spirit to Israel in an extraordinary manner. He's now come again, and so that tells us that God is about to put into operation His plan of restoration of everything that was lost in the first creation. Because God, uh, God's plan was frustrated. Uh, he gave us. Free will, he gave us the ability to reject him because he wanted to create people not in his own image, not robots. Uh, But in spite of our sin and rebellion, the love and grace and mercy of God was such that he determined to put a plan of restoration into place. And that restoration is described as a new creation, a new act of Genesis, a new restoration of what God uh, had created in the garden where he, he desired that men and women should live in living relationship with him. And uh, the first stage in this is the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit. And the final fulfillment, obviously, is at the return of the Lord and in the eternal city, which comes down from God out of heaven. So God's plan of restoration. But just coming back to our Christmas story here in Luke, um, the next thing we come to is the birth of Jesus. Now, Gabriel had announced to Mary that the baby to be born would be called the son of God and would receive the throne of David. Um, so the status of sonship, that's Luke chapter 132 and following. So the status of sonship is conferred even from conception. Uh, He is the Son of God at conception. Uh, The miraculous conception of the child is explained by the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. So the creative power of God the Holy Spirit is about to do something never before or since done in human history. It's like creation out of nothing, because a woman can't conceive, without the contribution of the man, but this time that's going to be supplied by God himself out of no human agency or material. So the creative power of the Holy Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit that is going to come upon and overshadow Mary, it's about to do something that was never before or since done in human history. It's the most significant and supernatural act of the spirit since the world's creation. And of course, as we've seen, the spirit was a power, the power at work in the first Genesis and the spirit is the power at work in the second Genesis, which is the miraculous birth of Jesus. Now, Jesus, um, his very conception is ascribed to the power of the spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the spirit from birth, um, but Jesus' very conception is ascribed to the power of the Spirit. And of course, Isaiah had prophesied a number of times, for instance, in chapter 11, that the Spirit would rest upon the Messiah. Now, the interesting thing is that um, uh, what Mary is told is that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. Now, that is a very significant word. It's drawn directly from the Shekinah glory, the cloud of glory. Which overshadowed the tabernacle the the tent where mo with, that Moses set up um, and the cloud of glory overshadowed the tabernacle at its dedication, so the overshadowing of the spirit it's like Mary and her physical body are equated with the tabernacle, and the Holy Spirit is hovering over her even as he hovered over um the earthly tabernacle and so uh the overshadowing of the spirit upon mary in this conception of the messiah announces the beginning of a new creation as we've seen but also the beginning of a new tabernacle (laughs) that's why jesus said well you can destroy destroy this temple um but i'll raise it in three days and they didn't know what he was talking about well it's taken 46 years to build this temple, how can you rebuild it in three days, how could they be so stupid, you would think, he he was equating himself with the temple, and of course, that means he was equating himself with God, that was an outright claim to divinity, to being God, because the temple contained the presence of God, and Jesus said, that's me, you're looking at it, um, so the overshadowing of the spirit is the beginning of a new tabernacle. And what that means is that Jesus Christ has become the dwelling place of God on earth. Whereas under the old covenant, you had a cubicle that only one man once a year could go into, um, that the presence of God was there. Now, Jesus himself is the dwelling place of God on earth. And when his spirit is poured out we are incorporated into that and become a worldwide tabernacle. Wherever we go, we're like one man, one woman, mobile tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that is within us. Um, and so uh, uh, Gabriel's words announce the dawning of this fulfillment. And uh, we can be sure that the Holy Spirit was operating in Jesus' life powerfully. Uh, right from the beginning. Um, now, the Jewish people, they understood the Messiah to be a military conqueror. They looked at, in their Bible and they saw, yes, he's the son of David. So they didn't read the other parts about the man of sorrows that would um, be, suffer and die and uh, carry our sins. They didn't understand what that uh, was all about. But what they saw was uh, the... Promise of the psalm that a new David would arise that would shatter the nations with a um, rod of iron and rule them and they it interpreted that as being well uh, he'll get rid of the Romans for us and uh, and he'll restore an earthly kingdom based in Jerusalem, but the new creation that God had planned wasn't a political or military. Reality, it was, and it, it involved far more than just the nation of Israel. God was in the business of something far, far bigger, and in and in bringing about an entirely new creation. And to do that, He needed His Spirit. So all the prophecies of the Old Testament were about to be fulfilled through the power of the Spirit, bringing the Messiah into the world through an utterly miraculous birth. A scene unparalleled since the creation of the world. Now, we, um, if I could make a couple of comments, uh, one of which is, as I said before, that when we uh, come to Christmas and read the Christmas story, the manger, the baby, the wise men, all, you know, the shepherds, uh, all, all the animals, the manger, the, the inn, and all the, that goes with it, um, it becomes very familiar to us, and that's all we see. And of course, all of that is true, but uh, we're missing an absolutely critical ingredient. And if you stand back and, and read through those two or three chapters, particularly in Luke's gospel, and you look for mentions of the Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit's role in all of this, and then you Go back to the Old Testament and see that um, the thrust of so much of the prophetic ministry under the Old Testament was that, as far as the future was concerned, was that God was going to send a Messiah. He would be full of the Spirit. He would bring a whole new creation about, and it would be almost a restoration of the Garden of Eden. And Id- idyllic scenes like the lion uh, lying down with the lamb. And this kind of thing where the prophets were. Reaching with language toward a reality they really didn't understand, but they were using words as best they could. And this is it. It's here with Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna and Mary and John the Baptist and Jesus and so on. So that's uh, something that if we read our Bible that way, it puts a whole new light on the birth of Jesus. And uh, the second thing I'd like to say is uh, that in the church, we often limit the role of the Holy Spirit to the spiritual gifts. And uh, one of the practical, practical consequences of that is that for churches where the gifts of the Spirit aren't operating, either because for whatever reason they don't believe that they operate today, or a lot of churches believe, well, they do, but They might not know what a gift of the Spirit was if they stumbled across it. It just isn't happening. And so if that's our conception of the work of the Spirit, if we're not experiencing uh, the gifts of the Spirit operating, or we're not experiencing them as much as we, we want to, then the Holy Spirit often becomes just a little more than a point of doctrine on a piece of paper that makes us Trinitarians instead of Unitarians, instead of just believing like the Muslims do, that God is one. The Holy Spirit is just a piece of doctrine. But when we read the Bible in terms of creation and new creation, uh, and in terms of the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Messiah, and then, of course, that Jesus said, when I um, go back to my father, what's going to happen? I'm going to send my spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is behind all of this new creation in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who is God on earth today. And I know that the Bible uses what we call anthropomorphic language. It's a big word meaning uh, using human language to describe God. And we describe God the Father as seated in heaven and the Son at his right hand. It it doesn't literally mean that there's two big thrones or chairs in heaven, and Jesus and God the Father are sitting on them. Uh, It's just a way of describing the rulership and authority of God the Father and the Son over the entire universe. But the Spirit is the one who's been sent forth, and he fills us. And the Holy Spirit is God on earth. And if we marginalize the Holy Spirit, we have marginalized God. We don't have God anymore. The Holy Spirit is God on earth. And so we need to um, go way beyond just the issue of the Holy Spirit motivating or empowering spiritual gifts. We need to see the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, giving us life and power, drawing us to Christ Uh, every day. We need to look for signs of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And even as you go back to the Christmas story with new eyes, and see the Holy Spirit there where you didn't see him before, I pray that you look at your own life and see the Holy Spirit there. If you've never spoken in a time, never given a prophecy, the Holy Spirit is powerfully active in your life, and um, that's what the Bible says, so don't be worried. I mean, if you are gifted with a spiritual gift of some sort, that's wonderful, but if you're not, the Holy Spirit is operating just as powerfully in you as he does in somebody else who gets up on Sunday morning and gives a prophetic word. So let's not limit the role of the Holy Spirit to um, spiritual gifts in some narrow uh, capacity. The, the Holy Spirit, when we step back and look at the whole kind of panorama of the Bible from beginning to end, we see the Holy Spirit for who he truly is, the creative power at work moving God's program of restoration forward until its ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers the advance of the kingdom, whether that's through fueling evangelism, whether it's through maintaining holiness in the body of Christ, whether it's directing believers into holding uh, fast to scripture, whether it's the performing of signs and wonders, whether it's the strengthening of our hands against the enemy by fortifying us with his power, it's the Holy Spirit who does all of this in your life and in mine. So the Christmas season that we've all just come through uh, actually is a great time, it turns out, to think about all the Holy Spirit has done, and all He has left to do. It's a great time to stop marginalizing the Spirit. It's a great time to stop debating about the Spirit, and it's a great time just to welcome the Spirit into our lives, into our families, into our church. We we don't want any more four hundred year gaps where the Holy Spirit is not present. We want Him now. We want Him tomorrow. We want him the next day. We want him not just in our church service. We want him in our own individual lives. We want him not just in some great Christian personality, but in the hearts of each of us as men and women who are seeking to fulfill the commission that God gave to Jesus Christ to take uh, to fill the ends of the earth with the knowledge of God. And Jesus uh, invites us into that mission as the ones who are to work with him in that extension of his kingdom so that even as adam was supposed to and eve push out the boundaries through being fr- fruitful and multiply of the garden and create paradise on earth but they failed but jesus is going to do the same thing until that day when the gospel of the kingdom comes to every nation and people group matthew 24:14 That's when, that's why we're to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. The great commission of Matthew 28 is the renewal of the commission to Adam and Eve in the garden to be fruitful and multiply. But this time, Jesus is going to succeed where Adam failed, and he will succeed because the power of the Spirit is at work in you and in me. So let's welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives. When you get up tomorrow morning and look into the mirror, you may not see a particularly spirit anointed, spirit filled person standing in front of you. Let me encourage you, don't look at at uh, what you look like on the outside. Know that on the inside, the Holy Spirit is within you and he will bring new life to you and through you to the world around you. So I pray God will encourage you with this word. Let me just take a brief moment to pray. Father, I ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit to come upon uh, new life as a congregation, all the individuals, all the families that are represented, those that listen to this talk. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We need you. Uh, We acknowledge that we're nothing. But that's that's not a problem to you, Holy Spirit, because you are everything. And we invite you to use us uh, to place your transcendent power in these earthen vessels and by doing so to bring honor and glory to Jesus in the extending of his kingdom in these days. In Jesus name. Amen.